Hi, my name is Spencer, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah, can we praise Jesus for the spectacular? It's awesome. One of our core values is going to be on the screen, and it's that we celebrate wins with a passion to refine. So we just want to celebrate some wins from that night. First off, so many of you, you served and you gave and you sacrificed to make that night possible. So we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Also, we a whole lot of us brought coach for the caring place, and we had a box, and it was full and overflowing. So they came and got the box this week, and that means that we are able to give new and gently used coats to people in our community who need them through the caring place. They've got the box. It's empty again, so you can keep bringing coats if you didn't bring yours. But thank you for doing that. And it was just an incredible night to really have a chance to start out December by focusing on Jesus. And the other part of our value is that we have a passion to refine, and our team is awesome, and they've already been having a lot of conversations about how we can make Christmas Spectacular in 2018 the best ever. But we just want to say thank you for that, and we also want to celebrate a win called Crammer's Corner. Who was at Crammer's Corner? Anybody? Woo! It was incredible. If you're unfamiliar with Kramer's Corner, we turned our whole campus into a living room so that students can study all night long. So I would love for us to make some noise and just thank the community groups who cooked homemade breakfast on Wednesday night and homemade soup on Thursday. Can we just thank them? Awesome. I also specifically want to thank a few people. I want to thank Hannah Gilstrap, Caleb Disney, Nathan and Belinda Eaton, Spencer Hodge, and Anna Self. All of them took shifts so that we could keep this campus open all night long. Our support team and intern team did a whole lot of behind-the-scenes work to make that night possible so we could serve our students. So just a huge success, and we thank you guys for that. And so today, what we want to do is we want to finish our series called Poured Out. And before we do, students, I want to let you know one thing. Um, we thought about celebrating the win of your final performance, but we realized the verdict's still out. Like, you may not have done that well. That could be your finding. So that's the other part of the core value. So um, we'll make that decision in January. But what we want to do is we want to finish our series called Poured Out, and we're going to begin to think about Christmas and look at part of the Christmas story. So before we dive into the talk, I want to let you guys know our Christmas schedule. It's going to be on the screen. So on December 24th and on New Year's Eve, we're only going to be meeting at 9.30 and 11.30. That's no 5.30 gathering. So what are the days that we're not having the 5.30 on? December 24th and... December 31st. We really want to err on the side of giving you time with family, and we just want to give our volunteers a chance to have some extra time with their friends and family this Christmas season. So today, we're going to talk about Christmas as we finish our series, and to really get into the talk, we're going to begin with a pickup line. So men, men, this is your time. You may not have ever taken notes in a gathering before. You should get out your phone, notebook, the info card, the handout. You should get something to take notes with. Here, here's the reason. Okay, husbands, this pickup line could be the spark that you need to have a baby it's cold outside romantic kind of Christmas. I'm just saying, husbands. And if you're single, if you're a single guy, this pickup line could be the refining that your dating game needs. Now, it's very likely your dating game needs a lot more refining than just this one line, but... We can at least start there and be moving forward, okay? So, you got your paper out, everybody ready? Now, before we do talk about this pickup line, 
Okay, we gotta make sure it's legitimate. Does it work? That's a good question before you write it down. Well, this pickup line came from Matt Day, a friend of mine who coaches baseball at Bradley. And all I'm gonna say is that his wife used to model. Okay, I'm just saying. I guess it worked for him. There's empirical evidence that this pickup line worked because he married a lady who used to model, just saying. Okay, it worked for him. So here is the line. It's gonna be on the screen. So the line is this. I noticed you noticing me, and I just wanted to let you know that I noticed you too. All right, guys. Some of you are like, that's way too hard for me to say. And ladies, can you help me out here? It should be hard to say because you ladies deserve a quality pickup line, don't you? Yeah, some girl power in the house. So to help all the men out, here's what we're going to do. Men only. We're going to say this together, practice. We're trying to help you out. All right, men, are you ready? Go. I noticed you noticing me, and I just wanted to let you know that I noticed you too. All right, that wasn't so bad. We got some work to do. Now, without making it too awkward, this could get awkward. We're going to try to make it too awkward. Find someone close to you and practice. Just take a shot. All right, here we go. Girls, you can say it too. All right, we're good. It's getting awkward. That's, that's enough. Some of you are going to sneak out to the restroom and change seats, whatever you need to do. Here's the thing. So what this pickup line does is it puts us on notice. And when we're put on notice, then the response is up to us. Because some of you ladies are like, if a guy walked up to me and said that, I would not even give him the time of day. I might just slap him. Like, there's no way that we're going anywhere if you walk up to me and say this. So what this pickup line does, it puts you on notice. And then once you're put on notice, the response is up to you. So the title of today's talk is called Put on Notice. The title of today's talk is called Put on Notice. And when we are put on notice, the response is up to us. So this morning, here's what God is saying to us. God is saying this to us. I noticed you, and I just wanted to put you on notice that I noticed others too. This morning, God is saying to us, I noticed you, and I just wanted to put you on notice that I noticed others too. So start with that first part. I noticed you. Some of you came today. And you may not even realize that God brought you here just for those three words, because God wanted to speak to you at a soul level and say, I noticed you. So even if you walk in today and you feel like no one even knows you exist, God looks at you and says, I notice you even when you aren't noticing me. See, it doesn't take us noticing God for him to notice us. He does the first noticing And so today, God says, hey, I notice you. I created you with intrinsic value that no one can take away, and I've been pursuing you whether or not you realize it and whether or not you even believe in me. So for some of us, maybe those three words from God that I notice you is just where we need to sit for a while. And so if that's you, just sit in that and let that really sink in to soul level. But the rest of it says, I noticed you. And I wanted to put you on notice that I noticed others too, because God noticing us never ends with us. God noticing us never ends with us. But instead, God puts us on notice. God puts us on notice because he is at work in the lives of others, and he wants us to notice them and join him in his work in their lives. So this morning, we really want to look at what it means to be put on notice by God, 
and what it looks like for us to respond. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of the wise men. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, you can turn or click over to Matthew chapter 2, because the wise men are put on notice by God, and they respond in a way that we can definitely learn from. So to help us think about the wise men, I actually brought some wise men from Whitney's and my nativity set at home. So I did not bring the whole nativity set because, to be quite honest, the wise men don't belong at the nativity. They actually didn't show up until afterwards when Jesus was in the house. And we know that because of Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. So we'll pick up there. Matthew 2, 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Notice, after Jesus was born. In other words, the wise men showed up at a house after Jesus had been born. They did not show up at the barn. This messes with your nativity, doesn't it? But if you're like me, you probably just put it all together in your nativity because it'd be really weird if a guest came over and was like, why are your wise men in the back bathroom and your nativity's in the dining room? That should be weird. So just put it all together. But for us, it's probably more appropriate that the wise men are here and the nativity's at my house. So here's the thing. The wise men are going to show up, and here's why they show up. God put them on notice through a star. The first thing we need to understand about the wise men is God put the wise men on notice through a star. Now, when we begin to understand who they are, this can make a little bit more sense. The wise men are astrologers. That means they're men who gain special insight into world affairs from observing planets and stars. And here's what's incredible. Since they are astrologers, God spoke to them in a way they would understand. Since they are astrologers, God spoke to them in a way they would understand. God got their attention through a star. Let's consider how he did that. The first thing that we can know, it's very likely that the wise men had some knowledge of Jewish culture. How do we know that? Because if we look at verse 2, they show up and they say this, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they're looking for the Messiah, for a savior or deliverer for the king of the Jews. So it's very likely that they'd had some contact with Jewish culture to know that the Jews were expecting a coming Messiah or a coming king. And then here's why they're looking for him. The rest of verse 2. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So here's what happened. When they saw some type of phenomenon in the sky, they perceived it as a sign that God was fulfilling his promise to send the long-awaited Messiah. Now, before we dismiss the Bible as scientifically inaccurate because of this moving star, let's just think about the context. In this time period, it was a commonly held belief that the birth and death of great men was accompanied by a star or some type of astrological phenomenon. So this is just simply the culture. And the story unfolds as is typical for this time period. Plus, we really misinterpret if we think they're literally following a star. Why is that? Because they end up in the wrong city. Where's Jesus born at? Anybody know? You guys can say it. Where's he born at? Bethlehem. And where do they end up? Jerusalem. Because they're trying to figure it out. And so logically, they just show up in the capital city. So we can't dismiss the Bible as just scientifically inaccurate, but here's what we can know. We can know that God is leading them through 
something that they're passionate about and something that they study through the stars, which is pretty cool to think about. The other thing that we can safely conclude is that it's very likely that they did not read the Old Testament. Now, they did not have access to the Bible like we do, but what they would have considered the Bible would be the first portion of our Bible called the Old Testament. Here's why we know they probably didn't read it, because in the Old Testament, it's very clear that Jesus would be born in, you guys said it earlier that he'd be born in? Bethlehem. But he is not, but they don't show up to Bethlehem, they show up to Jerusalem. So they're not being led or put on notice by the word of God, but these guys are being put on notice through a star. And isn't that incredible? Isn't it incredible that God pursues us through the things we love? See, it's very likely this morning God is pursuing you through something you love. You just may not even realize it. Perhaps you love art, and there's this painting or piece of art that has just captured your attention recently, and you may not even realize that's God pursuing you. Perhaps it's that song because you love music, or maybe you're like me and you love sports, and so as you watch sporting events unfold, somehow through the game and through the action, you can actually see elements of God, or maybe you hate sports but maybe it's through photography or cinematography or in some way that you have a passion in this area and God is revealing himself to you through that passion. Maybe it's a conversation with a great friend or maybe it's a conversation with a total stranger that you just met. But God, he's pursuing us. He loves us so much that he's revealing himself. He's putting us on notice through the things that we just love. But that's not all. See, we have a huge advantage on the wise men. We have the word of God. See, they did not have the full word of God. So we don't just have to wait around and depend on God to speak to us through art or through music or through sports or through a movie. But we can sit down and read the revelation of God, the story of Jesus in God's word. What a treasure that we have. What an advantage that we have that God can put us on notice through his word. So are we reading his word? Are we giving God an opportunity to put us on notice by spending time in his word? And not only that, but we have another advantage, which is called community. Hannah in hosting, she talked about the value of community groups. And when you show up at a community group, here's what we're saying. We're saying, Jesus, would you please speak to me through your followers? Jesus, I'm putting myself in an environment where you can put me on notice. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? That's something that we can do to allow God to open ourselves up for God to alert us to what he is doing and how he is moving. And not only that, even if you don't follow Jesus, you being here at the 1130 was you putting yourself in an environment where God could potentially put you on notice. See, God put the wise men on notice through a star, and there are so many different ways starting with his word, starting with other Jesus followers, and continuing with our passions, that God wants to put us on notice. But when we are put on notice, the key is the response is up to us. So here's what the wise men did. When God put them on, mo- on notice, the wise men responded by pouring out their resources. The wise men responded by pouring out their resources. So the first question we really got to wrestle with this morning is, Are we looking for God to reveal himself? The second question is, are we responding? Look with me down at verse 11. Verse 11 says this. And going into the house, 
They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. This is absolutely incredible that they've been put on notice, and then somehow they get from verses 1 and 2 from the east to a house where they are able to worship Jesus. The question is, how did they get there? They got there because they lived out the core value that's been driving this series. And the core value that's been driving this series is this. We generously pour out our resources for a mission bigger than ourselves. This is exactly what the wise men did. They took the star and what God was doing in the skies, the way God got their attention as a sign that God was doing something so much bigger than them, and they responded by pouring out their resources. So what resources did they pour out? It started with their time. See, some scholars think that Jesus could have been as as old as two years by the time that they got to him. So just... Sit with that for a moment. Suppose that Jesus is two years old when the wise men show up. Here's what that means. That means that if they were put on notice when Jesus was born, that for two years they've been making preparations, buying things, getting ready to travel, and then they've actually been taking the journey, which was going to take time as well. That's two years of their life that they would never get back. And even if it's just five or six months, that's still time they would never get back that they said, God, I'm going to pour out my time to you and travel because you put me on notice. What's incredible is that we can do the same thing. We have an opportunity to travel and in traveling, pour out our time. See, in February, as a public church, we are going to Washington, D.C. to partner with Waterfront Church. God has, through relationships, put us on notice that he is doing something very special through that church. And so we have an opportunity to go and to serve. And here's how we're serving. They're they're doing an event called Night to Shine. It's through the Tim Tebow Foundation. The heart of Night to Shine is to provide an unforgettable prom experience for special needs adults ages 14 and up that is centered on the love of God. In other words, we get to go to D.C., And be around special needs adults and let them know, hey, God notices you. Because God putting us on notice never ends with us. But God is letting us know, hey, I'm noticing people in D.C. and we get to play a part. But the key is we've got to be willing to give up our time. Some of you are going to have to take vacation days. No. (laughs) Vacation days? Really? For Jesus? Yeah, Jesus might want a couple vacation days. You may have to talk to your professor ahead of time and work that out. But we, like the wise men, we can pour out our time and respond to God putting us on notice. The second thing that they poured out, not only was their time by traveling, but they poured out their time through research. We're not going to read verses 3 through 8. And look, I know that if you're a college student, this is the last thing that you came to the 1130 to hear was research. But, But here's what they did. When they saw this astrological phenomenon, there wasn't like a plane going behind it that said, here's the address, you know, show up here. No, they had to do some work. And so what they did is they showed up in Jerusalem asking questions. Their questions got them an audience with King Herod as he summoned them and an audience with a council of Jewish experts. And what they did is as they asked questions, they were able to figure out more of what God was doing. Will we do the little things that allow us to get in on what God is doing? There's a saying that I love, and we've talked about it before, and it's going to be on the screen, and it's simply this. If we take care of the little things, big things will take care of themselves. Can we read that together? 
Ready, go. If we take care of the little things, big things will take care of themselves. Now, can we just read it like we believe it? Is that okay? Even if you don't, just fake it for just a moment. Here we go. Ready, go. If we take care of the little things, big things will take care of themselves. Here's the truth. Most of us want to be in on a big move of God. Most of us want to be in on a big move of God. Will we do the little things that make the big move of God possible? Jesus would you show yourself to me? Would you move in my world? I don't really have time to get in your word, but could you just do it anyway? Jesus, would you please just pour out yourself into my world? Would you show me how I can serve others? But I don't really have time to get in community. I just, I don't have time for that. If we take care of the little things, God is faithful. He will take care of the big things, but we have to do our part. The wise men did their part. They did the little things, they did the research, and as a result, they got in on something that was so much bigger than they even could have imagined. And they end up, as we read in verse 11, in a house with the king of the universe worshiping him. They traveled, they investigated, and they worshiped. And and, and here's what worship is. Worship is a response. And so as we set aside time, as we pour out our time, to respond to how God puts us on notice, as we pour out our time by doing research and leaning into what God is doing and spending time in his word and spending time with other Jesus followers, at some point, we're gonna encounter Jesus. And when we encounter Jesus, the only appropriate response is to worship and acknowledge his greatness. And they did that by falling face down, but then they also worship by pouring out their resources. Because that is worship as well. Last week, we talked about extravagant generosity. And if you missed last week and you want to go back and listen to that talk, you can find it on our website, publicchurch.com, on our app, or you can just find it on your podcast store. But we talked about this idea that a form of worship, a necessary form of worship, is generously pouring out our resources to God because of who he is and because of what he's done. And what were the resources they poured out? Gold frankincense, and myrrh. And here's what we talked about last week, and just to remind us, for those who were here, and to let us know if you weren't here, when we generously pour out our money and our resources, God is always doing more than we realize. Always, every single time, he's always doing more than we realize, and that was the story with the wise men. See, shortly after they left, Mary and Joseph, they had to flee to Egypt, because Herod, the King Herod, he was trying to kill baby Jesus. So God prompted them, hey, you've got to go to Egypt. Now, here's the problem of traveling. Traveling costs money, doesn't it? I mean, some of you would be traveling right now if you had more money, wouldn't you? You're like, I wouldn't be here. I'd be on a beach somewhere, like final drive, I'm out of here. I got a weekend. I'm just going to fly somewhere in my plane. Like, we would travel more if we had more money. Traveling costs money. The problem with Mary and Joseph traveling to Egypt is that they were poor. So how did they get to Egypt? Through the gold, through the frankincense, and through the myrrh of the wise men. And the wise men probably had no idea that simply by worshiping with generosity, that they were actually funding the journey and their time in Egypt. Is that not incredible? That when we generously pour out our money and pour out our resources, God is always doing more than we realize. And then if we look at verse 10, we see something else about their response. Verse 10 says, when they saw the great star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great 
joy. See, their response included great joy. I love verse 10. It's really my favorite verse of the whole story. And it's like redundant and total overkill when it comes to the the wording because the author wants us to know they were joyful. Excuse me. They were joyful, 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 joyful. Like he's like shouting at us. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Because when God puts us on notice and when we respond, our response will come with joy. One of our core values says that I find joy in the journey and love to laugh. I find joy in the journey and love to laugh. See, this is a part of following Jesus, but just a question. Have you lost your joy? Maybe you haven't this week. Maybe you've been in a place where you lost your joy, but I know for me personally, this week I lost my joy. Now, if you know me, I am an eternal optimist, really annoyingly optimistic. People probably don't like being around me because I'm so optimistic, just being honest. But I got to a place this week where I couldn't see the wins. All I could see was the refining. I couldn't see the positive. All I could see was a negative. See, sometimes we lose our joy. So I didn't do it immediately, but over time, what I had to do is get alone with Jesus and just be honest with him and pray honest prayers and vent about where I was at and how I was feeling. And then Thursday, I came in and I went straight into Cody's office. Cody's our worship and community groups pastor. And I sat down and said, you got to pray for me. I I can't see the winds. I can't see the positive. I'm just in a rut. Would you just pray for me? And poof, everything got better. No, that wasn't how it happened. (laughs) But it did help. And I talked to my wife, Whitney, and I was honest with her. And Friday, I went on a run with an accountability partner. And over the course of those few days, I I got my joy back. I actually texted Cody yesterday and said, I'm back, to which he was probably like, great. (laughs) The annoying optimist is back. But really, I was back. It took me a little bit to get my joy back. So maybe you're here today and you're like, okay, I can read this about the wise men, but I have lost my joy. The number one, would you run to Jesus? And number two, would you lean on others? So we've lost our joy. If we run to Jesus and if we lean on others, then what he does is he gives us perspective to see that we get to be a part of something that's so much bigger than us. We get to be a part of Jesus changing lives, not just on earth, but for eternity. And when we catch sight of that, then we have to be filled with joy. So let's let Jesus give us the perspective back. And then the other element of the response that we could so easily miss is in this last verse, in verse 12. We could just overlook this really simply. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. We could easily be like, oh, the story's over. They're just going back, whatever, let's move on. But this verse is huge because here's what this verse tells us, that when God put them on notice, their response continued beyond the moment. When God put them on notice, the response continued beyond the moment. It's one thing to respond in the moment when you're face-to-face with Jesus and you've fallen down at his feet and you're giving him your gold and your frankincense and myrrh, but they walked away from that mountaintop, joy-filled experience and continued to let God lead them. They continued to let God put them on notice. So for us, it's one thing for us to show up at 1130 and get fired up and respond to Jesus in this gathering. But will we let the response continue beyond this moment? That's always the goal. In fact, we're really wasting our time if the response is limited to just this space. Because the point of a public church is that we blur the lines between what happens on and off our campus 
In other words, we come into the 1130 gathering and we are challenged and we are inspired and we see truth and we respond in this moment and then we leave and we continue responding in every moment of our lives. That's what it means to be a public church and that is always the goal. So we're gonna end this series with a unique response that allows us to keep responding beyond just the 1130. So if you have a phone, if you have a journal, I wanna invite you to get those out so that way you can take a picture of what's about to be on the screen, so that way you can also take some notes if you wanna write some things down. But before we put something on the screen to help us respond beyond just this moment, here's what we need to understand. That when we think about this whole idea of being put on notice, that when people find themselves in certain situations, we should notice them because God notices them. When people find themselves in certain situations, we should notice them because God notices them. And how do we know that? Because his word puts us on notice. That when people find themselves in a situation as an orphan, as fatherless, as struggling with material poverty, as an international, or as a widow, we should notice them because God notices them. And so what we want to do is we want to let God put us on notice beyond the 1130. So on the screen, you're going to see a list of scriptures. I invite you to take a picture of this, to write these scriptures down. And the goal is that for the next four Tuesdays, for the next four Tuesdays, that we would study these scriptures. There's going to be 18. There'll be one more slide. So go five verses one week, five verses the next week, four and four. But that beyond the 1130 gathering, we would sit, time, sit down with God's word and we would research. We would investigate. These verses all talk to us about God's heart for the orphan, for the widow, for the international, for the person struggling in material poverty. And so that we would spend time researching and seeing the heart of God. So as you're writing those down, and also for our podcast audience, I'm going to read them so that they will know what they are. So Leviticus 19, 9 through 18. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 22. Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29. Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 13. Psalms 68, 5. Psalms 146, 9. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 and 21 through 26. Isaiah 10, 1 and 2. Isaiah 56, 3 through 8. And then the next slide, the other scriptures are this. Isaiah 64, excuse me, Isaiah 61, 1 through 4. Jeremiah 22, 3. Zechariah 7, 8 through 10. Malachi 3, 5. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. Luke 10, 25 through 37, Luke 12, 13 through 34, and James 1, 27. The goal is that we would take time for the next four Tuesdays. You may say, well, why Tuesday? Because I wanted to do Mondays, and Christmas is going to be on a Monday, so I didn't think any of us would do it, just being honest. And then the next Monday is New Year's Day, and a lot of us will be watching football, so trying to help us be successful here. But Tuesdays, for the next four Tuesdays, that we would just sit down with the Word of God and that we would pray two prayers as we look at these scriptures. Here's the two prayers. Write these down. Take a picture of these two. Father, show me your heart and align my heart with yours. Father, as I read your Word and let you put me on notice, Father, would you show me your heart and would you align my heart with yours?
And the second prayer is, Father, show me how I can generously pour out my resources for people you notice. As we pray these prayers, we take this time, I really think God will change us. And here's why we're doing this. Because I've heard talks like this, and I've walked out of those doors with the best intentions and done nothing. Anybody with me on that? To be authentic for a moment. Yeah, I, I, I've listened to it, walked out with the best intentions and done nothing. This prevents that from happening. That if we'll just get in God's word, he will change us over the next four weeks. He will show us his heart. He'll begin to align our heart with his, and then he'll show us the actions that we can take. Just a sample of what this might look like, one of the verses is Jeremiah 22, 3. So perhaps as you're sitting down and reading Jeremiah 22, 3, which says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, that's the international, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. That as we're reading that, we would say, Father, show us your heart. Father, your heart is clearly justice for the foreigner, for the, inter for the international, for the widow, for someone struggling with material poverty, for the orphan and the fatherless. You want justice. Father, help me to want justice. And then, Father, would you show me how I can bring justice to people who are in these situations so that I can let them know that you, Father, notice them and I notice them too. And as we read these scriptures, if you're anything like me, at some point, you're probably going to get overwhelmed. Because I know as I've read scriptures like this and seen God's heart, I'm like, man, I can't do everything. And we need to remember that I'm not the church. You are not the church, but that we are the church. And what is overwhelming to me is possible through us. What is overwhelming to me is possible through us. None of us can do everything, but we can all do something. And so God will show us our role. So the final part of this exercise is we read the scripture, we pray the prayers, and then also we write down, here's how we could respond through public church. Because public church is responding by loving people in these situations through four different areas. And so as you pray, as you read, you would say, God, what's my role through what public church is already doing? So the first way that we're responding, when you consider orphans, we have the butlers in our church family and they are foster parents. We can co continue to come alongside them. We have people who work for Omnivision, which is a foster care agency that is awesome in our church family. And we can support them. We have three families, they're listed, that are currently in the process of adoption. A little thing we can do is we can pray. On my phone, there's a reminder every day at 2 p.m. to pray for these people. Now, do I pray every day at 2 p.m.? No, I've missed some days, authenticity. But you know what? I've prayed a whole lot more consistently because of that reminder for these people than I did a month ago. And so maybe it's setting a reminder because when we pray, we're saying, God, pour out your limitless power. So let's pray for these people. Not only that, you can simply walk out of this gathering, walk to the Christmas tree, and you can get an ornament. See, Shepherd's Heart International is one of our partners. And you can just grab an ornament, pay $55, and cover an orphan in Kenya school fees for next semester. Or you can go to their website and say, I can do more than just school fees. I can be a monthly sponsor for a child. And you can take a tangible step towards letting these orphans know that, hey, God notices you and I notice you 
to. Another way that public church is serving the materially poor is through what we call development teams. Development teams are incredible because the heart is that we're coming alongside people who are struggling so that all can experience restoration. There's really three roles in the development team. There's a budget coach, there's a connector, and there's a neighbor. And the goal is that all three of these enter into a relationship where everybody experiences Jesus' restoration. We don't have a lot of time to get into this, but know this, poverty is always holistic. It's never just about the money. So this allows us as a church to take a holistic approach and come alongside people through a relationship where we can all be changed. But not only that, when it comes to our international friends, we actually have the International Friend Network, which allows us to, uh, you're never gonna guess, become friends with internationals, ha ha, duh, it's in the name but allows us to develop relationships with them, to welcome them and say, we're so glad you're in our country. And this is huge because guess what? In the biblical story, guess who the internationals are? Us. We're the internationals. Guess who are internationals in the story we read today? The wise men. So praise Jesus that he wrote the wise men into his story to let us know that the internationals have a place in the story of God. Praise Jesus that some of the Jews who are God's chosen people caught God's heart for the nations and said, this isn't a Jewish thing, this is an every nation thing. And so we're gonna take the story of Jesus to every nation and that's why we're here today. So shame on us if we lose that mindset, become ethnocentric, think it's all about us and forget about our international friends. If we do, we are missing the heart of God. And finally, when it comes to widows, this is new, and, and we've really been working on this a long time, but our We Serve Local team, they've done some activities called Listen and Learn, where they just go in our neighborhood and get to know people, and they know where widows are in our neighborhood. And they are slowly and strategically helping people adopt a widow. Here's why it's slow and strategic. Because if you show up one time and you're not consistent, you're gonna break these precious ladies' hearts. And we just can't do that in the name of Jesus. We've got to be consistent. So here's what we can do. We can get in the Word. We can pray these prayers. And God may lay on your heart after a month to say, hey, commit to adopting a widow. And after that month, you'll know you've counted the cost and I can do this. I'm not gonna break her heart. I can be consistent. So that's what this extended response is for. And think about it, ladies, to go back to the pickup line. If a guy uses pickup line on you and you responded well, which probably isn't that likely, but what's also not likely is you're not gonna marry him on the spot, are you? Like, oh, you noticed me? Let's get married. That would be a terrible decision. <laughs> You're not going to do that. If you responded well, you would begin to talk and begin to date. And over time, you would figure out if the relationship was going to work and what it was going to cost you. And that might one day lead to marriage. Here's what we're doing with this. We're saying, hey, we're not going to respond in this moment only. We're going to research. We're going to do the little things so that over time, God can, through us, do the big things. And so we can really count the cost and be committed to the role that God has for us in noticing the people that he notices. So if you have something that you need to process from this talk, we have leaders from the refuge room who are underneath this exit sign and they would love to just listen to you and process with you. If this morning you have seen the heart of God and you wanna surrender your life to Jesus because of the cross and because of the resurrection, then please go talk to our leaders from the refuge room or grab somebody you came with. But this is simply a time for us to begin responding right now and to make a plan for how we're gonna to continue to respond 
outside of this moment. So talk to someone from the refuge room, journal, pray, and when you're ready, stand and let's worship through music. But one final thought is this, imagine, imagine if just all of us in the 1130 gathering that claim to follow Jesus did this. Imagine if just all of us recognized that what is overwhelming to me is possible through us and we all stepped into our role to notice the people that God notices. Our city, our world would never be the same. And people that aren't following Jesus because they don't see Jesus followers acting like Jesus would begin to follow Jesus because they would see us actually acting like Jesus. Lives, eternities would be impacted if we would just do this. So let's pray that God would give us the strength. Jesus, you have put us on notice. (laughs) There's no excuse. We've got your whole word. We've got all these scriptures please give us the courage to respond. I pray that you would help us to take the next four Tuesdays and to get in your word and let you continue to move powerfully in our hearts. And I pray that over the course of those four Tuesdays, you would show us exactly what our role is. So together, we can show the world who you are. Would you use us? Would you let us begin to respond now and show us how to do that? And would you make sure, Jesus, that our response continues beyond this moment.